This is chapter one, and chapter one is called, What About the Flat Tire? Several years ago, we had an art show at our church. I had been giving a series of teachings on peacemaking, and we invited artists to display their paintings, poems, and sculptures that reflected their understanding of what it means to be a peacemaker. One woman included in her work a quote from Mahatma Gandhi, which a number of people found quite compelling, but not everyone. Someone attached a piece of paper to it, and on the piece of paper was written, reality check, he's in hell. Really? Gandhi's in hell? He is? We have confirmation of this? Somebody knows this, without a doubt, and that somebody decided to take on the responsibility of letting the rest of us know? Of all the billions of people who have ever lived, will only a select number make it to a better place, and every single other person suffer in torment and punishment forever? Is this acceptable to God? Has God created millions of people over tens of thousands of years who are going to spend eternity in anguish? Can God do this or even allow this and still claim to be a loving God? Does God punish people for thousands of years with infinite eternal torment for things they did in their few finite years of life? This doesn't just raise disturbing questions about God. It raises questions about the beliefs themselves. Why them? Why you? Why me? Why not him or her or them? If there are only a select few who go to heaven, which is more terrifying to fathom, the billions who burn forever or the few who escape this fate? How does a person end up being one of the few? Chance? Luck? Random selection? Being born in the right place, family, or country? Having a youth pastor who relates better to the kids? God choosing you instead of others? What kind of faith is that? Or more importantly, what kind of God is that? And whenever people claim that one group is in, saved, accepted by God, forgiven, enlightened, redeemed, and everybody else isn't, why is it that those who make this claim are almost always part of the group that's in? Have you ever heard people make claims about a select few being chosen and then claim that they're not part of that group? Several years ago, I heard a woman tell about the funeral of her daughter's friend, a high school student who was killed in a car accident. Her daughter was asked by a Christian if the young man who had died was a Christian. She said that he told people he was an atheist. This person then said to her, so there's no hope then. No hope? Is that the Christian message? No hope? Is that what Jesus offers the world? Is that the sacred calling of Christians to announce that there's no hope? The death of this high school student raises questions about what's called the age of accountability. Some Christians believe that up to a certain age, children aren't held accountable for what they believe or who they believe in. So if they die during these years, they go to be with God. But then when they reach a certain age, they become accountable for their beliefs. And if they die, they go to be with God only if they have said or done or believed the right things. Among those who believe this, this age of accountability is generally considered to be sometime around the age of 12. This belief raises a number of issues, one of them being the risk each new life faces. If every new baby being born could grow up to not believe the right things and go to hell forever, then prematurely terminating a child's life any time from conception to 12 years of age would actually be the loving thing to do, guaranteeing the child ends up in heaven and not hell forever. I mean, why run the risk? And that risk raises another question about this high school student's death. What happens when a 15-year-old atheist dies? Was there a three-year window when he could have made a decision to change his eternal destiny? Did he miss his chance? What if he had lived to 16, and it was in that 16th year that he came to believe what he was supposed to believe? Was God limited to that three-year window? And if the message didn't get to the young man in that time, well, that's just unfortunate.
And what exactly would have had to happen in that three-year window to change his future? Some believe he would have had to be converted, or he would have had to be initiated, or he would have had to say some sort of prayer, or get saved, or being born again. That, of course, raises more questions. What about people who were born again, or who were initiated, who were saved, or converted at some point in their life, but it means nothing to them today? What about those who said it, or did it in a highly emotionally charged environment like a youth camp or a church service because it was the thing to do, but were unaware of the significance of what they were doing? What about people who were never converted and don't claim to be Christians, but live a more Christ-like life than some Christians? This raises even more disconcerting questions about what the message even is. Some Christians believe and often repeat that all that matters is whether or not a person is going to heaven. Is that the message? Is that what life is about, going somewhere else? If that's the gospel, the good news, if what Jesus does is get people somewhere else, then the central message of the Christian faith has very little to do with this life other than getting what you need for the next one, which of course raises the question, is that the best God can do?